We're going to open up in prayer here in a moment, but I want to take a minute just to um, talk to all the moms. I mean, we've, we've dedicated, we had a parent-child dedication just now, but it's also Mother's Day, so we want to celebrate the moms and all the ladies in the room. Listen, Mother's Day, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty awesome day because our moms, they rock, right? Would you all agree with that? Or Yes? Okay, you can, you're allowed to clap for your moms. Listen, if your mom's sitting next to you and you clap like that, she should be really upset at you right now. She should feel like, bro, that was the most insulting. Did you make your mom cook you breakfast this morning? I don't even know. Listen, I need y'all to wake up. Like, it's Mother's Day. You need to be really nice to your moms today. So we're gonna take a moment and we're gonna praise God because we're grateful for, for moms. We're gonna celebrate motherhood. That's a big deal for us uh, as a church. There's something that moms teach all of us about the love and mercy and awesomeness of God. Like, Mother's Day is a big deal. And there's a piece... Um, There's something that moms teach us about who God is. We learn about his tenderness and his compassion and his care for us. Like we we learn a lot of things from mothers. And so we're gonna take a moment, we're gonna praise him for that. But we also, I also realize that this morning as we gather to celebrate Mother's Day, for some of us, Mother's Day is kind of hard. It's hard for some of us for different reasons because for some of us, uh, this is the first year without our moms. And so that's that's a rough Mother's Day for some of you. For, for others, uh, when I talk about the tender, compassion, kindness of your mom, that's not what you learned from your mom. You, you have a, a little bit more baggage than that. For others, Mother's Day is a reminder of infertility or struggles having a baby. Like, listen, it's, there's a lot of really great things about Mother's Day. And then for others in our midst, this isn't a day of joy. This is a day of difficulty. And so we want to rejoice with those who rejoice and and weep with those who weep. And so if you're here today and Mother's Day is a hard day for you, listen, we need to know that God sees and he cares and he's with you. All right, would you bow your head and close your eyes as we pray this morning? Heavenly Father, um, God, Mother's Day is supposed to be a happy day, but, but for some of us, it's a hard day. God, I pray for all the people in this room right now where Mother's Day is difficult. God, I, I pray you would, you would show mercy and compassion and grace and kindness. God, I pray that you would meet the people who are struggling today personally with, with your spirit in a way that helps them feel encouraged and ministered to. And God, for others of us, Mother's Day is a great day. Uh, we've had great moms and our moms are next to us and it's a day that we get to celebrate and enjoy uh, the goodness and kindness of our mom. And God, we thank you for that. And I pray for all the people here who've had really awesome moms. God, I pray that we would remember how kind and compassionate and gentle and caring you are. Every time we see our moms, God, I pray we would remember you and how you are just so merciful to us. God, I pray that would stand out to us today. And God, as we continue to worship by looking at your word, God, I'm praying you would help me to teach. I need it. I pray you would help all of us to listen. We we all need your help to give us ears to hear what you would say to us through your word. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to jump right into our passage for this morning. We're actually stepping out of the book of Titus just for Mother's Day. So this is a special Mother's Day sermon, which... um, I don't know if I normally, I don't do that very often. I guess not because it's Mother's Day once a year. But pulling out, uh, as I was praying about what we're going to talk about this week, there's one passage that, that came into focus for me. It, it changed on me a couple times, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. And as you flip over there, let me just ask you a few questions because um, I think this passage will speak to this. Well, one of the things that's been standing out to me lately is as I get very few moments, it feels like to hit pause. It feels like the pace of life 
feels really, really quick. The other day I was talking with someone and we were reminiscing what it was like before we had cell phones. Anybody here remember that? Like that awesome world? Like the awesomeness of being able to leave your house and nobody could get a hold of you and nobody expected to get a hold of you. Like if you called the house, there might be an answering machine, there might not. You would leave a message and hope that sometime in the next couple days they would call you back, right? Do y'all remember that? And then things have changed. Now we've got our cell phones. And listen, on our cell phones, I mean, it's like all there. And it's all there all the time. Like it's not just answer machine message anymore. Now we've got text messages and, and email. And you've got work email and personal email. And then you've got Facebook and Twitter. And for the young people, Instagram or whatever else is going. And those, those things are coming at you. And they're coming all the time. Like it's, it's no big deal to have hundreds of notifications come on your phone every single day. Like, like all of them are coming in all the time. And it's not only that it's coming in all the time, everyone expects you to respond to their text message or their email or their phone call or their Facebook message as if you're the only thing in their life, right? Like you've, you've experienced that, right? We've offended people by not responding quickly enough to a Facebook message or maybe you haven't. I've offended people by not responding quickly enough to things like that. Like there's like this barrage of information coming at us all the time. And it's, it's not just on our phones, that when I start adding like family life to that, right? I start adding all the things that we're trying to do with like our kids and our families that there's, there's a little league games to take them to. And you got to get them plugged into soccer and baseball and whatever other sport you're going to teach your kids to play. Right? You got to do it. And you got to do it now. And you got to do it all the time. And they need to be at an elite level if they ever want to have a shot at their hopes and dreams. Like if you don't get them involved in baseball at six, they'll never make it in the major leagues. You'll ruin them. You'll ruin their dreams at six. Like all this pressure on parents. And am I the only one that feels that pressure? Because I'm not seeing the head nod anymore. I, Y'all got to stay with me because it's hard to preach up here if everyone stares at you like you're an idiot. You got the masks on. They're gone right now. I mean, you can wear them if you want to, but I can see your face. You can't hide it anymore. All right. So if you're staring at me with a what like it, it's rattling. Okay. I'm going to be honest. Uh, like there's this pressure with it and you, you start running your kids around. Like you start becoming a chauffeur to go to dance recitals and guitar lessons and volleyball practice or whatever else it is. You run around, then you got homework when you get back and it's just, you're just going a hundred miles an hour all the time. And that's just family life apart from work. And, and every now and then, do you ever just feel like you sit down and the chaos stops and you're saying, man, I don't, are we actually producing what we want to produce here in the lives of our family? Like, are we actually in better relationship or we're we just busier? Do, are, are my kids actually doing better or are they just involved in a ton of activity? Am I doing okay or am I just plugged into the machine going a million miles an hour? Anyone ever have that question pop into their head? Like, I, it, it gets rough. And then I add church to the conversation, right? Like, now, it's different now because coronavirus shut all, it shut everything down and we got a moment to breathe. But but as things are starting to ramp back up again, you begin to ask the question, do, do I really want to go at the pace that I was going before coronavirus? Uh, do, do I really want to go 
that quick and that much. And even as I say that conversation, there's, there's some who grew up in church that was very busy. It was a church that you were here Sunday school at 9 a.m. and church at 10 and Sunday evening service at 6.30. And if you're serious, it was Tuesday night visitation at 6.15 and Wednesday night prayer meeting at whatever time you did that. Anybody remember those days? And then all of a sudden you're like, man. And then suddenly somehow that stuff started to, to taper off and a few complained about it, but most of the people were like, okay, that's, that's really good. I'm actually really happy that I don't have Sunday morning and Sunday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night. <sighs> like, right, like Tuesday night faded away and then Sunday night started to fade away and then Wednesday night started to fade away and then Sunday school started to fade away and then now all of a sudden there's some people who would look around and say, well, listen, I, I don't like the business of, 10 million times a week together, but I don't know if this showing up to church once a month is the ticket either. Like we're looking around saying, I, I, what are we doing here? Like as we're ramping back up to engaging the church, we, we think about all that busyness and there's that question of, man, those moments that I was the most busy in church was, there was some good in it, but was I actually really growing more and more in love with Jesus? Or was I just, at church because I had to be there or because I was busy or that's what was expected of you or because people viewed me in a certain way. And when the busyness of church stopped, the emptiness of our hearts remained. Right? Like it, it's kind of a, a, a rattling thing when everything around us comes to a screeching halt and we're at our house alone by ourselves with our thoughts and our heart and the news and there's something rattling about the, the numbness that's grown in our hearts towards other people, the numbness that's grown in our hearts towards God. In the midst of all the busyness, relationships didn't actually seem that much better. As we start to come out of this thing, the question for us is gonna be, well, man, do I need to be that busy? I think that's important for Mother's Day because listen, moms are busy. Right? Like moms are, I mean, not that dads aren't busy, but guys, let's, let's be honest. Like I can sit down when I get home and I don't have the same things going through my mind that my wife has going through. I don't know if it's, I'm an idiot or that she's smarter than me, which is probably the case, or she's just wired different. But my wife is thinking about things that are not on my brain. Do you know when I think about dinner? Dinner time, <laughs> right? You know what my wife thinks about dinner? yesterday, like, or maybe earlier, probably the week before. I don't know. Like, right. She's, her brain is going in a totally different route. Moms are busy. And as I think about this, I, the passage we're looking at, I think speaks directly to that today. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. As we look at this in Luke chapter 10, I, if you grew up in the church, do me a favor. Do not read this passage like you've read it a million times before because you have. When, when we read things that we're used to, I want you to read it like it's your first time because familiarity will breed a contempt. You'll miss the shock of the story because you're familiar with it. I, I want this verse to, these verses to land on us. I want us to read it like we've never read it before. So let me tell you what's going on as we get a run up to Luke chapter 10. We'll be in verse 38. Um, let me just start with it and we'll read one verse here. It says this, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village 
And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Let me hit pause right there. So here's this woman named Martha. Jesus enters this village and she says, Jesus, why don't you come over to my house for dinner? Now, that doesn't seem shocking to us on face value, but let me tell you what's been going on up to this point. In chapter nine, the very beginning of chapter nine, Jesus sends out his 12 apostles and he says, listen, I want you to go all over Israel and every village you go into, find someone who will welcome you. When they welcome you, stay there, preach the gospel in that city. If they don't welcome you, leave and go to the next town. All right. So they go and they see God do these awesome works and they come back and then they got all these things happening in chapter nine. Then Jesus goes to Samaria and they don't welcome Jesus. They reject him. They, the people welcomed his disciples, but they don't welcome Jesus. So he shows up in chapter 10. So instead of sending out 12, Jesus sends out 72 people. He sends them out, same instructions. Go out to the cities. If someone welcomes you, stay in their house, teach the word. If they don't, leave. But again, no one's welcoming Jesus. And so he shows up in at the end of chapter 10 and he's got these crew, these 72 people have come back and they're celebrating what God did. And when you see a woman say, I'm gonna welcome Jesus into my house, it stands out in this part because you're asking this question, what's about to happen? Because we haven't seen people welcome Jesus very well yet. Is there going to be a fight here? Is it going to be shocking? Like, like what's going to happen? And it, it's a woman. So that, that seems a little odd before in, in this kind of culture. Is she going to accept him as king? Are, are they going to serve him? Are they willing to obey him? Or is there a confrontation that's about to happen where he throws down because they're pharisaical hypocrites? What's going to happen in this house? So that, that's, that's the scene in Luke chapter 10. So, so here's what happens. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Like I, I love this illustration because right off the bat, we see this lady named Mary and she, she goes up and she sits down at Jesus' feet while he's teaching his disciples in the house. Like that's, that's a situation that's kind of going on here. Now, now, here's what I need you to hear. In ancient Israel, that would have been a little bit shocking. Do you, do you want me to tell you why? Let me, let me tell you why. Rabbis who were famous rabbis or any type of rabbi, he normally had his disciples or his apprentices were almost always men. And these men would come and they would sit around their rabbi and he would teach them and they would travel with him and he would sit down, they would sit at his feet and he would teach them. And that was almost exclusively for men. And the women in that time would not have really been, they would have been allowed to be taught the word, but they would not have been allowed to sit down at the feet of a rabbi as if they were a disciple and just be taught. Like they were not really supposed to engage. That would have been a very rare thing for them to engage in that process. And so, so here's Mar uh, Mary. And instead of doing what the women are supposed to do, which is supposed to be serving and cooking the food, that, that's, that's the ancient thing. Don't like, no one throw things to send me an email. Pay attention to the context, all right? Instead of doing what she's supposed to be doing in the culture and the society of the moment, Mary abandons her post she leaves what society, where society says she should be, and she goes and audaciously initiates and sits down at the feet of Jesus to listen to his teaching. Like, listen, this is, this is a bold and risky strategy. I, now, I, here's what I don't want you to hear. I don't want you to hear Mary was rebellious or arrogant or pompous in this. Let me tell you what's happening with Mary. Mary sees Jesus and she hears his teaching. And, and here's what I believe she noticed. There's two things I think happened. Number one, I think she saw something super valuable. 
something worth it where she said, listen, like he's talking, like I heard him teaching outside and now he's here at our house for dinner. Man, the stuff this guy says, the, the stuff that he does, something about him, I gotta be around that dude. Like I need, to, I need to hear him teach some more. He talks about God in a way that makes my heart burn. Like it, not heartburn in the bad way, even as I said, said, said better when I wrote that out than when I said it out loud. It gives me heartburn. No, it makes my heart burn for him. Like it makes my heart passionate for God and for worshiping him, for obeying him and knowing him. Like everything seems right with what he said. I gotta, I gotta be around that. This is super valuable. This is, this is eternal. She leaves the business of the kitchen she bucks against a social mold. She's not going to let that get in her way. She has the audacity to walk in there and sit down because she sees something valuable in Jesus. And y'all identify with that? You had that moment where Jesus felt valuable for you? Like, man, he feels good. Like, I want to know him and obey him. Not, not just duty and obligation, not religion, but something valuable and precious. It's who we are as followers of Christ. Well, we're not people who just pray to prayer. We're not people who live good lives. We're people whose hearts burn for Jesus. So she sits down there, but there's something else I think she saw there. It wasn't just the value of Jesus that she saw. I think it was the invitation of Jesus that she saw. Like it's one thing to see something valuable and say, man, that seems really awesome, but it's a whole other thing to go walk up and grab that thing that seems valuable unless you know you're allowed to, right? Like, like, listen, it's one thing to see my kids and think they're cute. It's a whole nother thing to run up and squeeze their cute little cheeks and give them kisses, right? Like if you're a parent, have you ever had that moment where someone you don't know, you're totally oblivious to them. They, they don't know how to recognize the social cues of they, you don't want them coughing on your baby, but they walk up and they're kissing all over your baby. Like, listen, man, I need you to, you ever had that moment where you back off? Like, like what's the deal? The deal is you got to be able to read mom and dad's face. When you walk up to see a baby, this is a life lesson for all of you. When you see a mom with a baby, look at mom, see if she's comfortable you touching the baby, then you go in, right? If you throw all caution to the wind, like you're that kid's grandma, but they've never met you, mom's going to freak out, right moms? Can all the, would all the young moms agree with me on that one? Okay, good. Get vocal. You can get vocal. We're in church. It's Mother's Day. Goodness. All right. So listen, but here's what's happened. If you see that mom, you can come over here and check this baby out. She's, she's handing that baby to you like this, right? Well, what do you, what do you know that mom is saying to you when she takes your baby like that towards you? What is she saying to you? It's okay. I go, I trust you. I want you to hold my baby and kiss that baby. I, hopefully it's not, get that baby away from me. I need to break. Like, it's not that. It's that, yes. Like, like if you're a grandma, right? You've had this moment. Hopefully you've had this moment if you're a grandma where that baby's born and you get to come and see that little newborn baby and your daughter or your son reaches out and hands that grandchild to you, right? They don't do that unless there's something crazy with you, right? Like they, they hand that baby. There's an invitation to you that says, it's okay. Come over here. Hold this baby. Enjoy this baby. Mary didn't blaze a trail like Jesus didn't want her there. You know what Mary noticed in the eyes and person of Jesus? An invitation. Here's what she knew. She didn't just know that he was valuable. She knew that he wanted her. He wanted her. He didn't care what society said about Mary's role. 
He cared that Mary saw that his teaching was valuable, that she wanted to be a disciple. And before he saw woman, he saw disciple. And he, there was an invitation from Jesus for her to sit down and she knew it. So it gave her boldness to come to him and say, I'm going to sit down right at his feet in front of Peter and John and whatever other knuckleheads are back here that get it wrong all the time. I'm sitting as close as I am right at his feet and it doesn't bother me at all because I know he's worth it and I know he wants me. You ever felt wanted by Jesus? Is the view that whenever you close your eyes and picture Jesus looking at you, do you picture Jesus with an invitation saying, Come here, man, I want you. Or, or do you picture Jesus with this, can't you ever get it right look? I think the gospels paid something really clear about Jesus, that there's this invitation all the time from him. He doesn't care. He, the invitation is not based on your performance last week. The invitation is not based on your track record. The invitation is based on his mercy and his kindness and his love and affection for us. Isn't that awesome? I think, I think Mary saw that. She saw value. She saw an invitation. She's like, dude, I'm in. I, I am all in. So she, she leaves the kitchen and she sits down like, man, I love this. And I want you to hear this. Jesus is worth it and he wants you. He's always inviting you to be with him and it's always worth it. But sometimes we don't hear the invitation. We don't see the value. Why not? Because we got work to do. We, man, there's work. Like, listen, Mary cashed in on it. She's sitting down loving life. But there's Martha. <laughs> listen, I, I love the real rawness of this passage. Like you guys can imagine this, right? You can imagine Mary and Martha are slaving away in the kitchen. Like you, you, need to, you need to picture this. Like it probably wasn't just Jesus. He at least had 12 other full-grown dudes with him. Maybe 72. I need you, can y'all just think about this for a moment? It's a last minute dinner party. There ain't no Publix. There's no, there, there's no Domino's pizza that you're ordering. None of that stuff. You're not catering it in. You just invite Jesus and his entourage. That could be like a hundred people rolling into your house. You just did it this afternoon. Like just picture that. You just picture this moment right now that you come up to me like, man, I really enjoyed that lesson. You want to come over for, for lunch? And I'm like, sure. Can everyone come along with me? Um, yeah, that sounds great, right? So y'all are heading home. Someone stopped in the grocery store and we all show up like, hey, everyone, listen, Kim just invited us to house for lunch. Come on over, right? Like, it's not me by myself. That's not, that's not how Jesus rolls. He at least has 12 with him. Like, this is a big dinner table. This is a big dinner party. And it's not just that. Jesus is like a celebrity walking into town. Like the whole town knows. So Mary and Martha, it's like, listen, okay, you get the hummus ready. I'll go make the pita bread. You get Lazarus to go start the fire. That, before he sits down, that guy needs to start that fire. I need some firewood so I can cook this stuff, right? Like you can picture this, right? I picture him scurrying around like crazy. They're all sitting down in there. And Martha's like, Mary, I need you to go in and get the drink orders. Tell them I got passion fruit fresca. I don't know. And water. All right. Just go tell them to get the drink orders. So Mary leaves Martha in the kitchen. She's making the hummus up and Mary's getting the drink orders and Mary just never comes back. She just doesn't cut. She's like, what is taking her so long? Like 
if she doesn't get back here, we're not eating till like nine o'clock tonight and it's all going to be cold and nasty. Like I need her in here. Like, so she's peeking her head around. She's all by herself in the kitchen cooking for a hundred people. Like, can you, can you picture this? She sticks in and, and Mary, like she ain't walking around like, Mary's like partying with everybody. Like, dude, she sat down. Like, she sat down on the ground and she's just all like, tell me more, <laughs> right? And Martha's like, oh, are, you, are you kidding me right now? You just bailed on me. We got all this work. I got tons of work, right? You can feel the workload piling up. Can you feel the pressure? Like, this is the greatest teacher of our time. I'm not going to ruin this as a hostess. Can any of y'all identify with that? Listen, I got the greatest teacher of our time and he's in my house right now. Like this is the legend, <laughs> right? The, like I, he cannot think that chick can't get her act together. She can't even get a plate of hummus out to us. Like what? I can't have him thinking that about me. Like he's, this is the big dog coming to eat. There's pressure it's a huge task. There's pressure. And imagine like, like what's the village going to think about me if I make the mistake of inviting Jesus and all his friends and I can't even get dinner right. Would any of y'all feel that pressure? Listen, I, I got to be honest. It's going to be in the, the Tallahassee Democrat. Jesus invited to her house, but she couldn't even get dinner on the table till 10 p.m. And then it was cold, right? Like, the, listen, so Martha, I don't know how long she stewed. But I promise you, it probably didn't take too long because it's her sister, Crazy Mary, is in there partying, carefree, doing whatever she wants, and the whole family reputation's on the line. Like, you, you got to help a sister out here, right? That's what's going on. So she walks in, and I love the fact that she doesn't talk to Mary. She doesn't go, hey, psst, Mary, get over here. <laughs> like, it's, what are you, get over here. She doesn't, she doesn't talk to Mary. Mary's clearly lost her mind. Mary ain't leaving. She ain't leaving. So she goes straight to Jesus. She goes, listen, I, just, <laughs> I love it. I, maybe I don't love it, but it looks, it's just straight passive aggressive manipulation. You ever been tempted to do that? Been on the receiving end of that, right? Like it's, she's good at it. Mary is good. Our Martha's good. She's like, listen, this is my wheelhouse. I know how to get Mary off her rear and helping me. Jesus, it's just straight shame. She ain't helping. <laughs> did you not, did you not notice that? I don't know if you noticed there's like, Jesus, did you, did, I don't know if you knew there's like a bunch of people to cook food for. And, uh, I don't have a whole catering crew. It's just me and Mary. Could you get her to help me? <laughs> like, dude, it's, it's audacious. It's, let me read it to you. Uh, this is how I read it. You may be saying, I don't read that at all, but listen, I don't know what you're reading. Cause this is what I see. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted, big word there, with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, was respectful. Like she's not, she's not stupid. She's not going to be dumb about it. She's like, she said, Lord, do you not care? Don't you care that my sister has left me? She's abandoned me to serve, to do all this alone. Tell her to help me. I, I know you care. I know you care about me. And since you do care about me, tell her to get up and help me. Like I'm, I got this all by myself. It's a huge load. T tell her to help me. I just, 
Listen, <laughs> when I read this, here's, here's what I see. At first when I read it, I was like, don't you care? Like, is she saying that Jesus is unloving here? That, that's not what I think it is. I think she's saying something else. I, what I think is happening with Martha is Martha has an agenda. She, it seems like a really good agenda. I'm going to host Jesus. I want to give him a good meal. I want to serve the Messiah. Like I'm trying to serve King Jesus. I want to give him the meal that he deserves. Like he's worthy of this. Like my agenda is to give Jesus the greatest experience he's had in Israel with a dinner. That's what I want. That's my agenda. And, and my agenda needs Mary to help. So, so her thing is not don't you care about me. It's don't you care about my agenda. I have an agenda here and Jesus, you, you're caring and you're wise. It seems to me you should have the same agenda as me. It's, it's pretty manipulative, you guys. She's got an agenda, but here's the problem. Her agenda is not the same as Jesus' agenda. Jesus has a different agenda and he's not gonna be manipulated by Martha's agenda. He's not going to be told he doesn't care because Martha has a different agenda or a different goal or whatever's happening here. Like, listen, it's really amazing to see how easy it is to assume that our agenda is the same as Jesus' agenda. Instead of asking, Jesus, what do you want? She didn't go up to Jesus and say, hey, is, is this what you want? Because I'll stop making the hummus right now and I'll sit down and party with you. Dinner, is, that, is that what you want? She didn't ask that. She, she assumed that he wanted the same thing as her. She made an assumption. My agenda equals Jesus' agenda. Instead of saying, Jesus, what's your agenda? And she missed it. And she wanted, she wanted Mary to miss it as well. Listen, it's really, really, really easy. Like it's really easy to confuse your agenda with Jesus' agenda. I, let me give you a couple examples of ways we do that. I'm going to go on parenting because it's Mother's Day. I don't know if that's allowed. Let me tell you some ways we confuse our agenda with Jesus' agenda. We think about raising our kids to know and love Jesus. And somehow we equate that agenda with, man, I need them to be so busy. I need them busy, 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 busy. Raising kids to love Jesus means raising kids to love baseball. Raising kids to love Jesus means travel ball. Raising kids to love Jesus means they're phenomenal athletes. Raising kids to love Jesus means I need to make sure they're academically sound. Being a good parent, raising kids to love Jesus means I make them well-rounded. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with any of the things that I just listed out. Here's the problem. It's that equal sign right there in the middle. That what we've done is Jesus has an agenda for our families. We've taken our agenda and said, here's my agenda for my kids that everyone else around me tells me should be the agenda for me to be a good parent. Everyone else tells me, and I bite into it and say, yes, you're right. That is Jesus' agenda. And I'm telling you, it's not. That's not his agenda. You see how easy it is to get sucked down that path? 
I'm not telling you Jesus doesn't want your kids well-rounded. I'm not telling you he doesn't want your kids to have an education. I'm telling you, raising your kids to love Jesus is not the same as the agenda many of us are biting into. As we do it in all sorts of things. Maybe not just parenting. Maybe we do it with church. Jesus' agenda, love me, worship me. Jesus' agenda, love one another. Jesus' agenda, do justice. Jesus' agenda, love mercy. Jesus' agenda, care about the outcast and the poor. Church agenda. Listen, I know what the music should have looked like. I want it my way. And we got that, 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 that crosses all sorts of generations. Some people say the, the, the agenda for Jesus' church for worship is choir and hymns. Some people say the agenda for Jesus and his worship is, is not choir and hymns, it's modern rock bands. Listen, he's got a different agenda. It's just simply worship me. But we assume that his agenda is the same as our agenda. His agenda, love one another. Listen, our agenda, Sunday school. Our agenda, small group. Our agenda, just show up. Listen, I, those might be tools that can help you will love one another, but we begin to equate our tool with his agenda and it's not the same. If we're not actually loving one another and being in relationship with one another, scrap the program and figure out how to get on his agenda. Do, do y'all see how easy it is to flip-flop that? I hope that's not confusing you. I'm not telling you that worship choirs and praise and praise bands are bad. I'm not telling you Sunday school and small group is bad. I'm saying that's not the same as Jesus' agenda. We talk about poor and justice and outcast and mercy. And we totally flip that stuff upside down. Listen, just spend one hour on Twitter with church pastors and tell me you don't, you're not totally confused about what the church is supposed to be doing with the agenda of Jesus for the poor and the outcasts and the oppressed, for justice and mercy. Listen, everyone has an agenda. The question is, what is Jesus' agenda? And it's about time we stopped pushing ours and started getting on his all right, that was my little moment, Mother's Day. I'm throwing down on it. Let me keep going here. So she goes over. I want you to see how Jesus responds. I love this. <laughs> it's gentle and it's direct. It says this in verse 41. She said, Lord, don't you care? She left me alone. Tell her to help me. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha. He said her name twice. You ever, you ever done that to your kids? Oh, just... Fires, fires. It's just, it's not Martha, Martha. Like it's not Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. It's not that. It's, it's, it's a gentle like Martha. Okay, just Martha, hold on. Just take a breath. Let's put this in focus. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. You want to have anxious and trouble? Set your own agenda. You are anxious and troubled about like, you just, listen, does this feel good right now? This anxiety, this frustration, this like, is this, is this what you think my plan is for you? Listen, you, you are, you are all wrapped around the axle. 
you're jittery and you're anxious. Like you, you, you felt that, right? I mean, I'm assuming all of us have felt anxiety. If you haven't, you're an oak, okay? Uh, but for the rest of us who have experienced real life anxiety, right? This, this anxiety and this frustration, like it just spins you into this downward spiral. It says this, verse 42, one thing is necessary. And the implication is this ain't it. Getting dinner table on the table is not the one necessary thing. Martha, like you all, you all worked up. There's one thing. There's one thing. And Mary has chosen, I love this phrase, the good portion. That phrase, good portion, we say it this way. She's chosen the good meal. You're worried about getting dinner on the table, and I'm sure it's, that filet mignon is going to be great, but Mary just picked a better dinner. She, she chose the better feast. She chose the more satisfying feast. She, she chose the spiritual feast of sitting at my feet and being with me and learning from me, which is way more important than this dinner being warm and perfect. We can skip dinner, but you're not going to get this opportunity many times. Listen, I'm not going to take that away from her. It's this, this shocking question. Like, do you sit at the feet of Jesus and enjoy him and hear from him and learn from him? Like, does things ever just slow down enough for you to say, okay, I just whew, stop it all? Or is it the moment you wake up, that brain, once you get coffee, your brain is already going through the five million things that you've got to do today. Sometimes they even wake you up before your alarm. And he's saying, listen, there's a better dinner. There's a better task to be about sitting at my feet and being with me. Now, now listen, let me say this. I, I'm afraid that some people would hear this and they would confuse the application. They would hear this and say, the application is do less. This is not a call to do less. This is a call to be with Jesus. Listen, you may need to do less, but this is, this is not a call to do less. This is a call to prioritizing, feasting on Jesus. Let me, let me give you a couple verses I think demonstrate that. Because I don't think the problem sometimes is that we're too busy. Let me tell you what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. This is, this is important for us. He says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Now listen, look at this. On the contrary, look, look at what the grace of God, looking at what experiencing Jesus did. I worked harder than any of them. Okay, wait a second. Is he Martha or is he Mary? I'm confused here. No, no Paul, is, Paul is not saying I'm too busy. I need to stop being busy to sit at the feet of Jesus. He's saying, I'm at the feet of Jesus and it, it sends me out to do the work of the ministry. It makes me work harder. And that may seem confusing to you. Let me, let me flesh it out for you in this way. Uh, one way is that I'm fueled and by worshiping Jesus and knowing him and walking with him. That I, I, it's, it is the priority of my life to know him and worship him and make him known. It's the thing that makes my heart beat fast. The other is, I got to do these things. And okay, okay let, me okay, let me have time with Jesus. Let me stop this for a minute. Let me get back over here. Well, one is spending time with Jesus is a piece of the pie. The other one is it's the entire pie. 
Does that make sense? And when it's the entire pie, you don't sit around your house sipping lattes all day long saying, man, isn't walking with Jesus great? I don't have to do anything. That's not what this call is. This call is to make being with Jesus the thing that is weaved throughout your entire life. That being on his agenda and knowing him in the midst of your work and your labor and your busyness, everything is leveraging for you knowing him and making him known. Those are two very different things. I'll show you another verse, Mark chapter four, verse 18 and 19. Jesus is telling the story of the parable of the sower. Y'all remember this story? Guy goes and throws a bunch of seeds. Some lands on the sidewalk. Some lands in stony soil. Some lands in thorny soil. Some lands in good soil. And they all grow up. These three die. This one makes it. Talks about the, the thorny soil. And he, he's explaining it. Mark chapter four, verses 18 and 19. He says this. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but look at what chokes it out. The cares of the world, not the busyness of the world, the cares of the world, a heart affection for the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. It's all about desire and affection. It's all about the things that are capturing your gaze the entire time. These things enter in and choke the word out and it makes it unfruitful. Listen, guys, it's not our busyness. It's our hearts in our busyness. For some of you, you may need to be less busy because you have a heart that's like addicted to that. But, but this is not a call that you should have a job that gives you eight weeks of vacation a year. You got to work jobs. You got to live life. You got to raise kids. And that doesn't ever get quiet or calm. But a heart that's focused on Jesus in the midst of it, that's the heart that can stop in the middle of the chaos and sit at his feet and encounter him. That's the heart that in that moment wakes up to it and says, dinner can wait, let's be with Jesus. That's the heart that is encountering him all along the way. Listen, church, that's what I want for us. I want us to have these hearts that are just constantly looking for Jesus. And I, and I don't want to paint this in this pristine picture that either you're always all Mary or you're always all Martha. It's not that. Here's what it probably looks like. This morning at 8 a.m., I might be Mary. But by 8.15, I'm Martha. And 8.45 and 9 o'clock. And all of a sudden at 10 o'clock, I realize, what am I doing? Like, I want to be with Jesus. And a moment of repentance. And I may be Mary at 10 a.m. But by 10.30, I'm back to Martha again. You're weaving in and out of this. All. So don't make this this pristine thing. The point is that you have a heart that's pursuing, sitting at the feet of Jesus and knowing him. So... Let me just say it this way. Serving God should never choke out the word or time in his presence. It shouldn't. And the issue is not serving God. The issue is my heart that lets it choke that out. It's not like get really concerned for us, church. Get really concerned that we're running around trying to do all the good things that we're supposed to do. We're trying to be good moms and good husbands. Good, good moms and good wives. Good dads and good husbands. We're trying to be good parents. Doing all we can. We're trying to be good employees or good bosses. Trying to be good followers of Jesus. Running around trying to be in small group and Bible study and be at church and all those things are important. But then sometimes I think what happens is we begin to, that busyness, we let it grab our heart's affection. And when it gets our heart's affection, it chokes out the word. You can be busy in church for 20, 30 years and never sit at the feet of Jesus. 
Church, we've got a chance as we reopen back up again. We've got a chance to not get into the hamster wheel and say, no, 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 everything is about sitting at the feet of Jesus and being on his agenda. Or we can make the mistake as we begin to ramp up the activity that we just do activity without worship of Jesus. And if we do, we will be Martha. We need to be Mary. Right? So can I call you to it? I want to call you to this. I want you to be on Jesus' agenda. I want you to find him valuable. I want you to sit at his feet and worship him. I want you to be all about knowing and enjoying the person of Jesus. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Walk us through a time of response right now. Here's what we'll do in this time. Right now is the time for you to think through the things that God would have said to you specifically. I want to encourage you right there in your seat. Actually think through what God has called you to today. Don't just hear the word and move on. Let me tell you, remind you some of the good things. And if you need more time with God, we've got rooms in the back. You can be back there. We've got decision counselors who can talk with you and help. But have you found Jesus to be worthy of your time and your attention and your heart? Listen, have you, have you experienced his invitation? It's not that he's worth it alone. It's that he wants you. Do you feel loved and desired by him? Listen, if you do, I just pray you would really experience that grace and his favor that he looks at you in that way. For some of you, you've been really busy. You've been deacons, Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders. You volunteer all over the place. In church, you volunteer a lot. Some of you teach at school. Some of you teach at this Christian school. If you've been so busy serving him, you've stopped enjoying him. Listen, in all the business of your life, as parents, spouses and grandparents. Listen, if you haven't been on his agenda, would you get on it and repent and say, God, I want to be about what you want me to be about. Listen, for some of you here, uh, that invitation from Jesus, you've never heard the good news. And let me just tell you today what the good news of Jesus is. The good news of Jesus is not that we've all got it right. The good news of Jesus is that we've all got it wrong. At one point or the other, we've just been deeply broken by our own rebellion and our own sin. And God saw us in that state and out of mercy and love and compassion for us, he came and sent his son, Jesus, who died on a cross for our sins. He, he paid the full penalty for all my brokenness and he came back to life three days later. He makes this invitation to us. He said, listen, come and be with me. Forget the sin, forget all the things that you're pursuing that you think will make you satisfied. Be with me. Don't be religious, be with me. Don't be busy, be with me. For some of you, he may be inviting you here today to be with him, to repent of your sin and ask him to save you and just let him adopt you. 
He promises if you'll ask him to save you and repent of your sin, if you'll believe that he died for you, that's it. He promises he'll adopt you and he'll give you a new heart and that he will come in and be with you. pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, God, I pray we'd be a group of people whose hearts would burn for you. God, I pray in the midst of our busyness that we would have the purpose of knowing you and making you known. God, I pray we'd feel loved by you, that we find you to be a treasure worth selling every foreign, everything for and getting after. God, I'm, I'm praying we'd be those people. God, I pray you'd help us in the business of life to make sure we're staying focused on your agenda and not our own. God, help us in all this. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.